The Laws of Divorce, Chapter 13. This one continues where the previous chapter left off, discussing how we treat claims that one's husband has died. It has 29 halachas, so needless to say, I can't cover everything, and I invite everyone to look inside on their own. First halacha states that if a woman states to her husband, you divorced me, and these and these people were the witnesses, and the witnesses come and say that's not true, then later, if they leave the country, and then she comes back and says, my husband died, she is not believed because she has lied in the past. And if a single witness came to support her, we do not necessarily believe him either. Second halacha. If there's a war happening, and the woman states that her husband died in war, we do not believe her, even if she says she buried him, but if she says he died in bed, we do believe her. Third halacha. If the world is largely at peace, and she comes from a country, and she says there was a war in that country, and my husband died, we do not believe her, but if she gets remarried on that basis, we do not force her to leave. Fourth halacha. If she says my husband died in a landslide, or he was bitten by a snake, or scorpions, and he died, she may not remarry on that basis. Fifth halacha, if she says, my house filled with smoke, and he died, but I lived, she is not believed. If there was a famine, and she said, my husband died of the famine, she's not believed, unless she says, he died and I buried him. Six halacha. But if she says that Gentiles attacked us and killed him, but let me go, since that's an extremely plausible scenario, we do believe her. Seventh halacha, if there's a plague or a pandemic, and she says, my husband died, her word is accepted, because plagues are indiscriminate in terms of who they kill, and so her story is not unlikely. Eighth halacha. We are permitted to rely on hearsay, that is, someone says that he heard from another competent person that her husband died. That testimony is acceptable. Ninth halacha. If someone testified that he heard children saying, we just came from the funeral of so-and-so, and they offer a description of the funeral, then that testimony is admissible and may be relied on. Tenth halacha. When a Jew says, I killed that woman's husband, he is believed. And we do not say that a murderer is not permitted to testify because we do not accept his testimony to incriminate him. We only accept it to free the woman from her marriage. 11th halacha. Similarly, if non-Jews are talking and one states, how terrible is it that so-and-so died? He was so nice to me. Someone may testify that he heard this and that could be relied upon so long as a non-Jew is not offering testimony himself. 12th halacha. However, this is only the case if there is no reason for the Gentile to be making this statement other than the fact that it is true. 13th halacha. For that reason, a non-Jew who states, we executed so-and-so, is not believed, because they may simply be trying to stoke fear in the populace. 14th halacha. If the non-Jew was simply talking and making conversation, and then a Jew overhearing what he was saying asked him all the details, the non-Jew statements would be accepted, and a woman would be permitted to remarry on that basis. 15th halacha. We can even accept double hearsay, that is, a witness could testify that he heard a woman say that she overheard from a servant that so-and-so passed away, that would be acceptable. But if someone states, I saw him die, the witness would have to be asked, what did you see and how do you know that he died? And the witness must actually see him die. If the witness describes a scenario in which it is likely that he died, but did not actually see him die, that is not good testimony. 16th halacha. So, for example, testimony that a man fell into the river and was not seen thereafter is not testimony that he died. But if the witness testified that he fell into a small lake and he could see all of the boundaries of the lake and he was underwater for a time that would be impossible to survive, that is valid testimony. 17th halacha. Similarly, testimony that a man fell into a lion's den. If the witness did not see him die, that is not sufficient. But if the witness says he fell into a boiling cauldron, we can assume he is dead. 18th halacha. Testimony that he was hanging from a tree and vultures were pecking at him is not sufficient, but the statement that the vultures were eating his brain would be sufficient because, in that case, he's obviously dead. 19th halacha. And this is generally the case. If a witness is able to say, I buried him, that's one thing. But if he merely says he died in a landslide or he drowned in the ocean, if the witness did not actually witness him die, his testimony is not acceptable. 20th halacha. In these cases, where a witness did not testify 
that he saw the man die. The woman should not remarry, but if she does, we do not force her to leave her second husband. 21st halacha. If the man's body is found within three days of his death and his face is recognizable, that testimony may be offered to allow her to remarry. Otherwise, the body is not necessarily recognizable and we may not offer testimony about it. 22nd halacha. This period of time is extended if the man fell underwater because the water preserves him to some extent. 23rd halacha. But if a witness sees him far off and he identifies himself and he states that he's dying and then many days later his corpse is found but the features are no longer clear, there is enough circumstantial evidence there that she may be allowed to remarry. 24th halacha. If a bezin in one location sends a witness to go to a bezin in another location and testify that such and so, the son of such and so, died, we may rely upon that testimony, even though the witness does not know who he's testifying about. 25th halacha. If it is known that a Gentile and a Jew left the same city and then traveled together, and then in conversation the Gentile says, that Jew who I left with, he died, that may be offered and relied upon so long as the Gentile also said, I buried him. 26th halacha. This is really just an extension of the last one, and it says that if a Gentile states that 10 men were taken together in chains, and all 10 of them died, if the husband was one of them, this can be relied upon. 27th halacha. If a Jew testifies that he saw a man die, but he doesn't know his name, and he describes him, this is not sufficient. But circumstantial evidence is sufficient. So if someone says, one of the inhabitants of the city left the city on this and this day, and he died, and we are able to ascertain that he's the only one that left the city on that day. So that is sufficient. 28th halacha. A document attesting that such and so had died is sufficient as long as we know it was written by a Jew. And whenever witnesses are questioned for the purpose of determining whether a woman can go free, we do not follow the standard drish v'chakira, that is, we do not try to ask the witnesses a bunch of questions in order to test their memory, but rather we are extremely lenient in allowing women to go free. 29th halacha. This one is Rambam's explanation of why we're lenient. And what it comes down to is that all of the things that people are testifying about in these halachas are all falsifiable. That is, whether a person is alive or not. So we allow for the testimony, for example, of one witness, of women, of someone who overheard the conversation of Gentiles and the like. Because about a matter that can be confirmed like this, we do not suspect that the witnesses would lie. And so we are lenient in order that the daughters of Israel not be forced to remain unmarried.